We're going to be opening up John 11. I wonder if you could uh, find that in your Bibles. This is a very live issue for so many of us. Um, I look around the room and I know people who've lost those they love in the last year or two for whom grief is very real and robs them of sleep and joy day by day. I look around the room and I see people who've got people they love who've had diagnoses that that mean they're likely to die within the next year. Um, it's, a, it's a very real and live issue for us, isn't it? And, and you might be sitting here this morning and think, well, death isn't a live issue for me today. But it is. It is for every single one of us. So let's, let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the God who speaks. Speak to us now. Speak to us of your compassion your son the Lord Jesus speak to us of your love speak to us through your power in face of this ever-present reality in the midst of life the reality of death speak to us personally speak to us as your people the church as you have promised by your spirit for Jesus name's sake amen so do open up uh, John chapter 11 Uh, John chapter 11 If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll know that just before the service started, I received a a WhatsApp message from a friend, uh, a guy I played rugby with 30 years ago. I'm off to a reunion on Wednesday for a team I was in. And and the message said that uh, Adrian, one of the guys that I was going to meet this Wednesday, had suddenly died. There'd uh, been no diagnosis of anything wrong with him. He'd had a massive stroke the Friday before, and aged about 52, had, uh, had died suddenly. And that reality of death is one that is ever-present with us. You don't have to live very long before someone you know dies. And if you've not had a message like that, uh, you will. One day, and we don't know when. And we therefore need an answer not just for our own death, but for the death of those we love. But the problem is our society, our society won't even speak about death. When my dad was dying in hospital, he he had a brain hemorrhage and then died over about six months. It was extraordinary how the medical staff found it very hard to use the word death. So when it looked like he only had a a few minutes to live, a young doctor ushered me into a side room to tell me how serious things were. But but all she could manage to say was, the end is near, which it transpired as, as so often the case as people are dying, it wasn't. People, people just don't die according to a, a smooth curve, do they, when they're, they're suffering illness. And the next up, the medical food chain, the, the registrar, he said later that we were in the end-of-life phase. Uh, the top dog, the consultant, all he could manage, manage was, he is very unwell. No one felt able to say to me, your father's going to die soon. Since our our culture has abandoned even lip service, really, to the the Christian hope of of life after death, death's become the great unmentionable. It's a bit like Voldemort in the old Harry Potter books, isn't it? You know, Voldemort, if you say his name, in some way he has power over you. And that's the way people treat the word death. We pass away. We go to a better place. We're at peace. But very few of us seem to die these days. And as Christians, we need to be more like Harry Potter. He knows, of course, he survived Voldemort's worst, and therefore he he happily uses his name. And we know the one who has conquered death. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we need not fear the word death. You see, death is not the end. It is a defeated enemy. John's Gospel, as you know, has been written so that you might have faith, you might believe in the Lord Jesus, and by believing in him, might have life in his name. And what we're looking at in John 11 is this seventh and greatest sign to show us who Jesus is. God has given us this chapter of the Bible that we might believe that Jesus is his son and enjoy life, not just life now, but life forever with him. That is why this chapter of the Bible is here for you this morning that you may know certainty in the face of death and the death of those you love. So we're going to look at three shocking things that that Jesus says in in this chapter. Uh, Here's the first thing he says. He says, Jesus says, I'm more important than life and death. Jesus is more important than life and death. I guess that might have troubled you in the first section of our reading, didn't it? That, That he hears Lazarus is sick, so he doesn't go and heal him. Uh, John leaves us in no doubt. Lazarus is, is very sick. He leaves us in no doubt as to Jesus' relationship with the family. Do, do you see that in verse 2? This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So when Jesus says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death, no, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The next thing you expect to read is, and then Jesus pegged it off to Bethany and healed Lazarus before it was too late. Or at least, then Jesus sent a message to Mary and Martha, do not worry, believe in me, Lazarus won't die. Especially when John really rubs in the way Jesus feels. Again, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what on earth is going on in verse 6? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. It's actually worse than that. That word so means therefore. In other words, because he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. Because he loved this family, he didn't go and heal Lazarus. Now, now admittedly, it was dangerous to go back to Judea. The disciples remind him of that. They remind him that the the religious authorities, the last time he was there in John chapter 8, had picked up stones to to stone him to death. But but look what Jesus says in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. In other words, he's saying it's not about my safety, It's about me walking in the light, me doing God's will in the daytime. That's what it is, to walk by the light. So so I'm not worried, says Jesus. This delay is God's plan. It's got nothing to do with the the danger Jesus faces back in Bethany. I love love the next little exchange, don't you? It's, It's so real. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. So the disciples say, that's great. Nothing like a good kip and you soon feel better after that, isn't it? It's like advice from your gran. So the problem is that falling asleep in the Bible also means to die. So verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And if you think that's a bit blunt, verse 15, try that. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And spurred on by Thomas's bravado, off they go. The length of your life 
is not the most important issue that you face. The length of your life is not the most important issue that you face. You see, we live in a world that often thinks that quality of life is much the same thing as quantity of life. What really matters is to live for as long as possible. But that's not what the Bible says. What really matters is that you come to know God through belief in his son, Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' mission, to give eternal life, which is not primarily about quantity, but about quality. We've seen this in John. It's about a relationship with God as your father through his one and only son who gives up his life for you that you might be secure in that loving relationship every day you live on this earth and then forever through death. And that's why Jesus says in verse 4 that Lazarus' death is for the glory of God. It's about God's son being glorified. Because the purpose of Lazarus getting sick and dying is that people might see how wonderful, how powerful, how loving, how compassionate, how tender, how faithful the Son of God is as Jesus raises him from the dead. And Jesus deliberately waits until Lazarus is dead. He could even be glad that Lazarus has died because Lazarus' death is to help people believe in Jesus. And that is the most important issue that every human being faces. We used to have pinned up in our our kitchen in our last house orders of service from funerals that we've been to of of people we knew, loved. Um, You know how there's often a picture on the front of the the funeral order of service. It it was quite a sort of gallery really, but it it was a sobering reminder as you sat at the kitchen table. There was Chris, 39, he died in a car accident. Peter, 56, he died from a brain tumour. Mark, age 62, Pauline, age 56, she had breast cancer. Mark McKinley, age 39, he had a moped accident and and then died from complications later. Abu's dad made it to 87 before Parkinson's finally ended his life. My dad was 75 when he had that brain hemorrhage. Abu's brother-in-law, Rog, died age 59 from lung cancer and a variety of other complications. There are other people we could add now, many others. Or maybe Pete from last year, died at age 20, committing suicide. Or now Adrian from last week, age 52, from a massive stroke. See, death is very real. And you don't know when it's coming. And it's a sobering reminder to us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that it's more tragic that our friends and family don't know him. They don't have the beautiful eternal life that he offers That's more tragic than that they die young. See, we're created for for more than this life. More than this life now in all its struggles and battles. And uh, we're created for a better life today and a better life for tomorrow, for all the tomorrows that exist after death. That's why death is a tragedy. It's never natural. The world wants to say, oh, death, it's just natural. It's never natural. It robs us of relationships. It severs us from experiencing the love of others. It is right that we are grief-stricken in the face of death. My sister-in-law wrote letters to Rog, her husband. Uh, They say it helps. I think it, it probably did help her. The real tragedy is he will never read them.
But death is not the end. And Lazarus' sister Martha knows that, which takes us to our, our second shock. This should shock us. It probably doesn't, but it should shock us. Jesus says that he, he alone, is the difference between life and death. He is the difference between life and death. Look at verse 17 with me. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, the Jews believed that the soul left the body the third day after you had died. So Lazarus here is well and truly beyond hope. He's sort of even beyond the miracle. As usual, a crowd of mourners had come from nearby. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of Middle Eastern funerals on the television. Everyone comes. It'd be great, wouldn't it, actually, if we as Westerners, if we as church wept with those who wept genuinely so that all our church funerals were packed out occasions because we loved one another like that, that we were quicker to take days off work, to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. And that's what a Middle Eastern funeral's like. They, they all come, they're absolutely packed out. And it's very un-British because everyone displays all their emotions out there for the public. There's not a stiff upper lip to be seen. But, but Martha picks herself up and she goes to greet Jesus. And we know from Luke's account of, of Jesus that Martha's the more practical sister, uh, the more sensible sister. Even so, do you see the first thing she says to Jesus when, when she gets to him, verse 21? Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's no resentment or, or bitterness. Mary says exactly the same thing in, in verse 32. I guess it's what the sisters had been saying to one another. Where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come? If only he'd come, Lazarus would live. And Martha knows Jesus is special, verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Literally, if you ask God, God will give you. Sometimes people ask me to pray for a friend or a relative. I guess that's because maybe mistakenly they think as the pastor I've got a better chance of getting through. So, so Martha says, look Jesus I know you're a teacher from God. You've got a, a special connection with a, with a man upstairs. I know he'll give you what you ask. And Jesus says to her in verse 23... Your brother will rise again. And there are words that any faithful Jew would have said. They knew the Old Testament taught about a resurrection day when all people would be raised to life on the day God judged the world. They know and they believe in life after death, the Jews. And so Martha answers in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Almost everyone I meet in the context of death says something to me like at least their suffering is over now or they've gone to a better place or they're at peace you see people still believe there's a heaven they still believe there's a God but the problem is that isn't isn't enough but because of what Jesus says next verse 25 Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And just saying I am would have brought raised eyebrows from amongst the Jews because it's echoing the name of God in the Old Testament. I am who I am, Yahweh. But, but if the way Jesus alludes to him being divine is, is subtle, 
his claim next is, is blindingly obvious, isn't it? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Resurrection life is to be found in one place. Me, one person, Jesus Christ. You must come to me if you want to have life after death, says Jesus. If you want to enjoy that relationship with God that starts now and, and stretches on into eternity. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Oh, oh yes, they'll experience death even though they die. But, but they will know life forever in relationship with God. And one day, as, as Martha knows, they will be raised to a, a perfect new physical life and a glorious new creation. The question comes at the end of verse 26, though, isn't it? Do you believe this? That's the question for Martha. It's a question for you and for me this morning. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the answer to the problem of death? Often when we walk in at, at funerals, we read these verses. We read, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you know what? We very rarely say the last four, four words of verse 26. Do you believe this? But that's the key issue. It's the key issue for the person who died. It's the key issue for everyone gathered for the funeral. Do you believe this? See, death is a problem. I think most of us would have sympathy with uh, the great writer Tolstoy, who said rather depressingly, what is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I'm afraid of that. To wait for death till it comes, I fear that even more. Aren't we afraid of death? Don't, don't sometimes some of us have days in life where we think that death would be easier? The, the, the upbeat assessment of Dumbledore in, in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, well, he says, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. <laughs> That's simply fiction, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I can't organize my mind so I see death as an adventure. No, it's painful. It's tragic. It's miserable. And Jesus says to Martha, I am the answer to death. It's not, it's not really in your, your handbook of tactful counselling, is it? Can you imagine me walking into you recently bereaved and I say, really, I'm the answer to your problems, I'm the answer to death. It's either the most offensive thing ever said to a, to a grieving sister or it's true. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world yeah, Martha believes that Jesus is, is God's Christ, the Messiah, God's King. She, she believes he's from God, but, but we're going to see she hasn't yet grasped the enormity of what that means in her life. Because in verse 39, she, she doesn't quite believe that Jesus can pull off the miracle. And I guess many, many of us here this morning, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians, but maybe we stop where Martha does. We have a Jesus who we, we follow now, but we fail to see that, in fact, 99.9% .9 of the benefits of following Jesus come after death. That he's the one who's conquered death. And that, that being with him forever will be far better than any state of happiness that this world can bring. Do you believe this? And does that, that belief so affect your life? L like... 
Martha, she can't stake the, the, the resurrection life of, of the one she loves on the Lord Jesus. Can, can you stake the life of those you love on the Lord Jesus as well? So there's nothing more important for you than where they are with him? Do you know, in our comfortable country, I think we expect to live a lot longer than three score years and ten, which is 70, by the way, if you're metric. We, we don't face, do we, life-threatening persecution as Christians. We, we rarely face disease epidemics that, that kill us. And so de- death, death often seems a, a distant thing, and eternal life seems a, a bonus after this life, which is reality. But actually the Bible says, no, reality will go on forever, and it's the life to come. And one day it will come, one day soon, and you don't know when. And that's why Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die is wonderful news. Because without Christ, you do not have true life today. And without Christ, you will not have life after death for eternity. But, but with him, you can start the life today that you were created for and know it forever. Perfected. But, but just when you're thinking maybe Jesus is a bit heartless, you know, here he is with Martha and all he's doing is giving her good Bible doctrine, along comes Mary. And here's our last surprise. Jesus weeps, though he gives life to the dead. Jesus weeps, though he gives life to the dead. And Mary's statement is exactly the same of Martha's. The difference is that she falls before Jesus and that she blurts it out through her tears. It would have sounded different, wouldn't it? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And through her tears, as Jesus sees her weeping, verse 33, as she, he sees that the Jews who've come with her also weeping, he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Actually, those words deeply moved literally mean he's angered. It's a word used for the, the snort of a horse. It's, it's literally Jesus sort of snorts in outrage at the, the weeping of Mary and the Jews. The Son of God looks on the misery that death brings, the, the tragedy that it is, and he is angered by it. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Handy for your next quiz night. Yet it's got great power, hasn't it? Jesus wept. God wept. Isn't that a shock? I mean, he knows he's just about to raise Lazarus. He knows the end of the story. See, the anger that Jesus feels is his righteous indignation at death itself. And here, the Son of God experiences that, that product of our, our rejection, our rebellion against him. This is not the way the world should be. Death brings grief and Jesus weeps. Just because you're a Christian here today does not mean that, that death will be an easy thing. You don't need me to tell you that the death of those you love is a tragic thing. Time and time again, I've, I've sat with Christians who've lost people they've loved. And even though they know of the hope that they've died in, even though that they're with Jesus, which is better by far, even though that they know that the one who's died is more alive than they have ever been, face to face with their Lord, they weep with that deep grief. 
that deep agony. Because death is an enemy, but it is a defeated enemy. Jesus wept. And we have a God who grieves in the face of death. A God who's angered by what death brings into people's lives. A God who will go to a Roman cross and suffer the punishment, the, the horror of death. Not just physical death, but the eternal death that we all deserve for the way that we've treated him. We have a God who doesn't just walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us, but walked through the valley of the shadow of the death we deserve so that he might rise to life when we go to be with him forever. Jesus knows what it is to feel pain, tragedy, grief, sorrow. Did you remember what he cried out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is for for the perfect relationship he has with his father to, to be torn apart as he takes the punishment for our sins. God knows what it is to lose someone you love. He knows our grief. There is no one more sympathetic than our God. Perhaps we should uh, stop praying for, for people to live longer. I don't know whether we should or not. But perhaps we should pray for people to die well. To die in the certain knowledge that God, in the person of his son, is with them through all that they're experiencing. He knows their sorrow and grief. He knows the grief and sorrow of those gathered around the bedside. And he draws close in love. That's what Jesus does here, isn't it? The Jews watching the scene have it right, verse 36. See how he loved him. Yes, he loved Lazarus. Jesus loves deeply, personally. He loves individually. It's not just Jesus loves people. He loves Lazarus. He loves you. Not just you corporately, but you personally. But some of them said, Could he not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Yes, he could. And that's exactly what happens next. It might not surprise you because you've known who Jesus is for some time. It's one of the great dangers as Christians. We can become a bit familiar with the gospel accounts. But this was a big surprise to the people watching. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour for he's been there four days. Martha's so like us. I believe. No, no, really, I do believe. But let's not risk putting that to the test, shall we? And I believe you. But hey, you know, I, know, I know you're over death, but I, I think I won't, I won't risk that prayer. But Martha's going to see God's glory. It's what Jesus promised his disciples at the beginning of the chapter. So he prays out loud to his Father because he wants them to believe in him. That's what he longs for them. And then verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I, I love the next, the next little words, next five words. The dead man came out. They're great, aren't they? The dead man came out. It's just what Jesus said he'd do back in John chapter 5, call dead people out of their tombs, and now he does. He tells them to unwrap Lazarus from the clothes of death because he's been freed from death. He's not going to be needing those for a while. 
And in the face of the evidence in verse 45, you'll see many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. See, Jesus doesn't just say, I am the resurrection and the life. He proves it. We're going to see next week, not even his enemies deny this miracle. And he proves it not primarily outside the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. He proves it as he stands in John 20 outside his own tomb on the first Easter Sunday. Alive. There for all to see. And he says, death is defeated. Come, follow me. And as we've looked at this passage, I hope you've seen that Jesus is in total control throughout it. He has the power over death. Not just Lazarus's death, but your death, my death. And the question is, do you believe this? And I hope you've seen that Jesus walks intimately alongside these weeping sisters. He answers the practical Martha with practical answers written in the scriptures. And he, he comes beside the weeping emotional Mary in tenderness and love and weeps with her. There is no one who loves us like the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have a distant, disinterested God. We have one who comes close and loves you personally and individually in your sorrow. Death is not tragic. Death is tragic. But it is a defeated enemy. Now last week I heard about the death of my uh, mate Adrian. I'd not, not seen him for 30 years. He was, he, was a, he was a funny sort of guy. He was your likeable rogue, Adrian. Someone said that Adrian was like a good whiskey. Warm and corrupting. He'd greet you with a smile. He'd put his arm around your shoulder and try to lead you off into mischief. And, and then, a few days later, I, I got a WhatsApp message. Let me read it to you. It, it comes from, from the, the guy who's organizing the reunion. He says this, I've just been over to see Joe and the kids, and strange to say, Payne and his son Alf were talking a few short weeks ago about funerals. And Payne said that, in the event, he would like somebody he knew to conduct the service. And to quote him said, somebody like David Padraig Abgarant Berrien Jones. Anyway, Joe asked that I inquire if it proved possible whether that might be an option. Would you be up for conducting part of the service? Likelihood it is, will be Clandaff Cathedral in December. There are no coincidences with God. And two weeks before my perfectly healthy friend died, for some reason, he wanted me to take his funeral. He always used to tease me about my long Welsh name. He's properly Welsh. I'm a fake. I don't know where Adrian stood with Jesus. But I'm going to stand at the front of that cathedral. And I'm going to say to Joe and to his children and to his grieving friends, there is a God who loves them so much that he is drawn close in the person of his son. A God who knows what it is to grieve the loss of those you love. And then I'm going to say, he says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray together.
just some quiet for you to make your own prayers to the Lord. Maybe to pray to him for the first time if you're here as someone who's never followed him. Maybe prayers for comfort, prayers for courage, prayers for strength.